Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Luke is showing to be a little bit more uh, impactful than I anticipated. And so I'm enjoying it. I hope you do as well. And again, if you've missed any, you can go to our website, orangevilla.org, and you can follow along starting in Luke chapter 1 when we begin the series. Today is a mixed blessing. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever gone to a store or maybe you've done it through mail? They do a lot now through mail where you, you get one of those type of grab bags. You know, it's you grab this bag for any bag that you want for three dollars, four dollars and you grab it and you don't know what's in it. Anyone's ever done that? Ever had that? And you grab those bags and and you're not quite sure what you're going to get. And then when you open it, you'll find most of the stuff is probably useless. But every once in a while, there's just one of those gems. Man, I really needed that. Or maybe you've been had been to a party and done a white party uh, or what's that? The, The white elephant. The white elephant get, gift, and there are some people who don't understand a white elephant gift, and, and so they bring something actually useful and something that everyone wants, you know, but the, the others is just a mixed bag of, of blessings, so to speak. It's just things here or there, or maybe you've given around and someone's come up to you and said, wow, well, you don't look so chubby today. You know, these, these backhanded compliments, you know, where they're, they're trying to be nice, they're trying to be uh, compliment you, but yet in a way it just seems to also kind of be a put down. I, you might have experienced those. Today we're looking at Simeon and he's going to give some mixed blessings as we see here in scripture. Now, last week we were introduced to Simeon, a man that Luke regarded as a reliable incredible witness to the fact that Jesus was considered the Messiah. And here's the thing, that Jesus was the Messiah from birth. That's what Luke is writing here, trying to, he's attempting, he's doing more than attempting, he has succeeded in showing his Gentile readers that Jesus was considered the Messiah, not from his baptism, not from just his, from the cross or sort of his ministry, but from the beginning of his conception. He is the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And Simeon has been a reliable, incredible witness to one who has done that. And Simeon also is an example of God's faithfulness to sustain those who served him. As we saw that God says that you will not die until you see the Messiah's appearance. And yes, he did. And last week we saw that Simeon was excited and says, I'm ready to depart. Take me home. I have seen the consolation of Israel. Well, as we come to today's passage and continue that narrative in Luke chapter 2, Luke records Simeon's words of prophecy that is mixed with both bad and good news. He also introduces another reliable and credible witness that the baby Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. But so far in Luke's gospel, he's provided seven testimonies that Jesus is the Messiah. The angel Gabriel from the beginning of Luke 1. We see the host of angels. We see the shepherds, Mary, Elizabeth, Simeon, and today we'll discover or be introduced to Anna. Their testimony served to give the readers certainty that from birth, Jesus was considered the Messiah and the anointed one. He is that one that had been promised centuries before. Now, last week we read Simeon's joy at finally seeing firsthand the consolation of Israel, the the Redeemer coming, the comfort that Isaiah had promised through the prophet Isaiah. 
Now, as we come to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 34 and 35 at first, Simeon gives a word of blessing that foretells the reaction that Jesus' ministry will have on others. Those who hear and see him, he's given us a prediction of Jesus. When he's 40 days older, this is what Jesus' reaction will be, including Mary herself. Though Simeon is not described as a prophet, it seems that the Holy Spirit informs him of what the future response to Jesus' work would be. Simeon's blessing includes four predictions concerning the controversial nature of Jesus' future ministry. So we're going to take a moment to look at each of these in turn. So with that, Luke chapter 2, hope you have your Bibles ready. This part will also be on the screen, verse 34, Luke chapter 2, verse 34. And Simeon blessed them, Luke writes, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Father, so give us your wisdom as we continue this narrative of Simeon, we thank you for his testimony, that it is credible, that it is reliable, and that it has been served through the Holy Spirit's work these centuries. So that we, sitting here today on you know, February 16th of 2020, that we too can have certainty that Jesus is the Messiah. So now let us continue, open up our minds and hearts to receive your word. Let me speak words that are building and that are edifying. Let us know the difference between uh, your truth and just my mere opinion. And Father, may your spirit work in our hearts and may you be glorified as we respond to the work and to the message of your word. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. So with that, four predictions. They're not here on the screen for you, but if you'd like to take notes, four predictions of Jesus' ministry, how people will respond to him. The first one is that Jesus' ministry is going to have a great impact in Israel. So to speak, Jesus is going, ministry is going to be a crater that just hits Israel. It's going to have a great impact. He says in this, going back to Luke 2, 34, it says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Now, as you and I consider this blessing of Simeon, we must be reminded that this time Jesus is only 40 days of old. As we said last week, he hasn't done much other than cooing and eating and doing the things that babies do. Yet through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Simeon recognizes that this child is unique. That he is divinely appointed that he is, this Jesus has been destined, predetermined, selected, and chosen by the Father for God's plan of redemption to reconcile the world back to himself. The Apostle Peter preached concerning the rejection and crucifixion of Jesus in Acts chapter 4, verse 26. And I encourage you, many of these you won't be able to turn too quickly because I go right through them, but you can always write them down and look at them later. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 26, Peter preaches this. He's speaking to those in the audience, the Jewish audience. And he says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed, speaking of Christ. He says, For truly in this city, speaking of Jerusalem, they were gathered together 
against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, all those who rejected Jesus and said, crucify him, to, for what purpose? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Seemingly, it says that Jesus is appointed. There is an appointment, a divine appointment, something that has been written down before the beginning of time that Jesus is going to have to face. The writer of Hebrews also states of Christ's appointment. He says, long ago and at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. So also in another portion of Hebrews, he says Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but he was appointed by him, speaking of the Father, who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So when Simeon says that there is an appointment, Jesus has an appointment that's going to have a great impact on Israel. What's that impact? We're going to see in a moment. Because lastly, Peter, in witnessing to Cornelius in Acts 10, says that Jesus has commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. You see, the Holy Spirit informs us that this appointment, this appointment of Jesus, is both a blessing and a curse. It will be bad news to some and good news to others. For some, he will judge them into everlasting torment. To others, he will reward them and accept them. To those many, he will redeem them. To others, he will pass over. The Holy Spirit informs us of this, of his message. Simeon predicts that Jesus' ministry will cause some to fall and some to rise. In other words, Jesus' ministry is going to produce two main reactions. There will be people who will reject Jesus and there will be people who accept Jesus. You know what? That's still the same today. There are people who reject Jesus and there are people who accept Jesus. There is no in-between. There is no fence sitting with Jesus. I remember talking to a young man. I've told you the story before. I said, man, why don't you just come to the Lord? You, you know the facts of Jesus. You know the gospel. And his point was, well, you know what? I'll do it when I'm older. I just want to live my life and have fun today. So, would some say he rejected Jesus, or is he just put him off? Rejection, thank you. You see, there is no in-between. You either are rejecting Jesus, or you are uh, accepting him. And some may be doing that passively or actively, consciously or subconsciously, but there's only two choices. Those who had rejected Jesus' ministry include his hometown of Nazareth. Remember, Jesus could do no miracles there because they would not accept him. The Galilean cities of Chorazin and Bethesda, Capernaum, and the Decapolis, the ten, the ten cities there in Galilee, they rejected Christ as well. The religious sects of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the political sects of the, uh, of the Herodians and the Zealots, and even many of his own disciples in John chapter 6 eventually walked away from him because what he was saying was too hard for them to accept. They rejected him. Of course, we could even say even one of his own disciples, Judas, rejected Jesus. And this should not surprise us. As even in Jesus preached in Luke chapter 9, verse 22, 
The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day. Jesus knew this. It was appointed to him. In Luke chapter 17, verse 25, Jesus proclaimed that the anointed one of God must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So what Simeon is saying, that this 40-day-year-old baby will one day be rejected by many in Israel and will fall because of it. The one that they had been looking for, the one that had been promised to them, the one that they have been waiting and anticipating, they will eventually reject him. Now, those who accepted Jesus' ministry during his lifetime, including the, included the blind, the lame, those that were possessed by demons, tax collectors, adulterers, and even a thief. Some religious leaders, such as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, also accepted Jesus. The wind blew and they became born again, but also fishermen, political leaders like, uh, like uh, Cornelius and Roman officers. Even today, Jesus' ministry 2,000 years ago leads to these two reactions, acceptance and rejection. You and I all know people on both spectrums. There was a time in your life that you too rejected Christ. However, as the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, that God being rich in mercy and because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what does he say? He made us alive together with Christ. So there was a day that you too rejected Christ. And I'm concerned this morning that there may be some of you here that have rejected Christ you may say, but not in my mind, I'm here, I'm listening, aren't I? But yet still you have not accepted the facts of the gospel, the emotional input of Christ coming and saving you. Maybe even today you're still wavering and not quite sure. Let me tell you, accept him. Today is the day of salvation. For those who reject him, the Bible says, will be the fall. For those who accept him, there will be a rising up. You see, when Simeon writes the fall, he's describing all those who are arrogant and haughty, all those who think that they can save themselves, all those who think they do not need a Savior. They will one day face judgment. The writer of Hebrews writes of another appointment that awaits all those, all those uh, uh, who accept and reject Christ, where it says it is appointed for a man, what? Once to die. Then after this, the judgment. Let me ask, if that day were to come today, for, for no moment is guaranteed to any, and every, any one of us. And you're standing before Christ. Would you have accepted him? Or would you have rejected him? I pray today that you make that secure in your own heart. But for those who accept the ministry of Jesus... There is promised great reward as taught in Matthew 25, 21. Listen to these words, well done and good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And here's that phrase, that sentence. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you long to hear those words? Then accept 
the ministry and work of Jesus Christ. Not only would Jesus' ministry have great impact, it will cause many to, to reject him and fall. And for those who accept him, there will be a rising up. And though this child is celebrated and welcomed as the Messiah, as you and I see today or in this passage, not all are going to accept him. And Simon's next prediction tells us why Jesus' ministry will be rejected. Why is a baby, is he celebrated? Why is everyone saying, look at, we have found the Savior? Why will many of those same people reject him in 30 years? Well, we see this in the second point, the second prediction. Is Jesus' ministry is going to offend many. He says Jesus is going to be a sign that is opposed. See, the work and ministry and even the person of Jesus is going to be a sign that they are opposed to God. Now, Simon, or Simeon, excuse me, if I say Simon by mistake, please just fill in that E for me, fill in the blank. Simeon predicts that Jesus' ministry is going to be marked by an opposition that his teachings and his miracles and even his very character and identity is going to be disputed. They're saying, he cannot be the Messiah. He is not overthrowing the Romans. He has not disposed the religious leaders that are corrupt. He has not pulled us out of our poverty. And even today, many people dispute Jesus because he's not the Jesus that they want. He's not the Messiah that they're looking for. And so they oppose the work of Jesus the Messiah. Now, opposition to his work should be expected by Satan and his host of demons. And we read that as we read through Mark and when we went through Matthew, as many times the, 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 the Satan and the, and the, uh, and the demons, they, they, would, they would cry out, have nothing to do with us or have mercy on us. They opposed his ministry. Yet it should come as somewhat of a surprise when those who claim to be good Jews, children of Abraham, those who said that they were waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah to eventually to oppose him when he gave himself to them. It's a tragedy when the religious leaders reject him. And it's even shocking when it seems that his own family struggle to accept him. You may recall that. This opposition is not just verbal insults that are hurled at him. It's not just the questioning of his teachings and motives, but it finds its most treacherous when they display their hatred by lying against him, torturing him, and crucifying him. Why does this happen? Why do so many respond uh, so viciously to Jesus, even today? Why do they respond to his teaching and his authority? But it shouldn't surprise the Christian. Scripture informs us that this would happen. In our scripture reading earlier in Isaiah's, Randy, or Randy was reading, Isaiah prophesied centuries before Jesus' appearance that Israel would reject their Messiah. Isaiah, Isaiah predicted that, they, that Jesus, the Messiah, would be despised and rejected by men and that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So it was the Lord's appointed uh, ordination or or that, that, that they would reject the Messiah, their son, his son. 
Scripture tells us that Jesus is going to be a stone that would cause many to stumble over. And you can think of, you know, walking and hitting a, a stone or a pebble or a curb and, and you stumble over. That's the sign that is opposed. Now, it's not so much that they're opposed to Jesus, but what it's going to be is Jesus is that rock that shows who stumbles. Those who are opposed to God. We all know the thing. You take a, take a, there's a pack of dogs and, and you throw a rock into that pack of dogs. How do you know which one you hit or if you hit one at all? By the one who barks, who yelps, right? Those who reject Jesus are showing themselves to be those that have always been and will continue to be opposed to God. Scripture tells us that Jesus is going to be that stone. That's what he means that Jesus is a sign that is opposed. Again, the prophets, Isaiah speaking for Yahweh, declares of the anointed one. This is here on the screen, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 through 15. It says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be uh, your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, speaking of Judah and uh, Israel proper, the ten tribes. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the holy city. It says that many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Well, who is this Lord of hosts that will become a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling? Well, the apostle Paul identifies him as Christ. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, as always, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you need one, let me know. I'd love to get one to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is going to defy, identify Jesus as this rock of stumbling. And in it, he's going to give us the reason that they stumble. is because they reject his ministry. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Look with me at verse 17. Paul, writing of his own ministry and testimony, <clears throat> says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the words of the cross is folly or foolishness, to those who are perishing or those that have rejected Christ, those that are dead in their sins, but to those of us who are being saved, to those who are the chosen of God, it is the power of God. Verse 19. He's now going to quote the Old Testament. For he said, as it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the sermon of the discerning I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolishness, the wisdom of the world? You cannot stand before God. Who is that debater? Who's that scribe? Who is the wise one? Let him show himself, God is saying. Come, battle, do battle with me. Come, let's talk this over. Verse 21. For since in the wisdom of, the God, the, the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, through your reasoning, through your own intellect, through your own knowledge. It pleased God, though, to reveal himself. These are me, I'm adding on a little bit here. 
but it pleased God through the folly or the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews, now listen, this is important. The Jews demand a sign. The Greeks seek wisdom, information. But in 25 or 23, please underline this and circle this. Paul says they're looking for a sign. They're looking for wisdom. But what does Paul do? But we preach Christ crucified. Now that's why up here you will not see a circus at church. You're not going to see movies at church. I'm not going to be doing a song and dance. I'm a white guy. I can't dance. It ain't going to happen. I also can't dunk a basketball, though I wish I could. The only thing that you can expect from this pulpit and from our teaching is that we will preach Christ crucified. Any church or pastors that attempt to downplay the gospel and the truth of scripture and brings in other things to drag and draw people in cannot stand. For all we can do is the best I can share with you is Christ is crucified. But look it. Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. And here's what we see. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's fully or foolishness to the Gentiles. It's a stumbling block because the Jews says, wait a second, the Messiah, the anointed one, the savior of Israel is to come and conquer Rome. It's to restore the Davidic king to Jerusalem. It is to bring us and keep us from being a subjugated people, restore our fortunes. And isn't that kind of foolishness? Because is that not the prosperity, health and wealth uh, ministry today? Let your everyday be Friday. Hey, give a tithe or put a seed and you'll have all your things taken care of. It's a stumbling block. They can't accept it. That's a hard stop. That's a barrier for me. My Messiah will not be rejected and killed. But to Gentiles, to you and I, those of us who are not Jewish, it's foolishness. I mean, think about it. Why is it foolishness? Well, let me ask you, if, if you were to have a plan to redeem all of humanity, would you send your own son to be rejected, tortured, and killed? I mean, what's that? Wait a second. You're telling me that I'm supposed to send my own son to kill or to, to be killed by people who hate me and have rejected me? You and I do not have that type of love. God demonstrated his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't do that for the, for the guy who's driving next to you. You can't even sacrifice the lane so he can get in. Because you were there first and you're late for work. This is foolishness. Whose plan is this? Verse 4, 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, what do we see? Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. But the very work of Christ to the Jews and to the Gentiles is a stumbling block and foolishness. So actually, when you come to Jesus, he is a sign that says, stop. 
Look up. See God. It's a yield sign. Quit living your life as this way. Slow down. Recognize who God is and who you are. For those who reject Christ, we're blowing past that stop sign. It's that foolish guy, that young kid in his car, who sees a, a big, uh, uh, what's those bumps in the, in, the, those par- in the parking lots or in streets and just rams over and breaks his car in his front end. Because we're not paying attention. We don't like him. See, Jesus' redeeming work on Calvary, him being crucified, serves as a sign that will be opposed. They cannot accept this plan of God. The Jews refuse to believe what is written in their own scriptures by their own prophets that the Messiah will be rejected and crucified. What they do with Isaiah 53 is just a mystery to me. To them, it is a stumbling block. And this attitude was prevalent throughout Israel. It was ingrained deep in the hearts and minds of the religious leaders. The Apostle Paul in Rome after his arrest is recorded in Acts chapter 28-22. And he's speaking to to some Jewish leaders in Rome. And after hearing his testimony, here's what the Jewish leaders had to say to him. We desire to hear more from you of what your views are. For with regard to this sect, the way, that's what it was called in the beginning, the way. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. They had never met Jesus. They had never seen his ministry, his miracles. But yet they hear that it's opposed. They're against it. What we see here is in Simeon's prediction is that Jesus would be a sign of judgment against them. As Jesus warned them in Luke chapter 11, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh to repent, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Repent and believe. However, the good news is to those who accept Jesus He is a sign of God's mercy and God's acceptance. In 1 Peter chapter 2, can you turn there real quickly? This is so important, I don't want to skip it. I want you to see it. I know we went through 1 Peter uh, several years ago. And again, that's a great series. Go to our website, you can find those. 1 Peter chapter 2, it's in the New Testament near the back. Get past Hebrews, you should find it. 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, uh, a cornerstone chosen and precious, uh, precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So some it's a stumbling block. To others, it's a cornerstone. It's a foundation. So, uh, so the honor is for you who came to believe, but not for those who did not believe. The stone that the builders rejected, that they stumbled over, has become a cornerstone. The stone of stumbling and a rock of fence. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, speaking of us, God's children, those who have accepted Christ, but you, in verse 9, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
And you may want to underline these next word, this next phrase. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those who accept Jesus' ministry will not only receive mercy, be accepted by God, but they will also one day be raised up as the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Ephesus. By grace we have been saved and he has raised us up with him in the heavenly places. Scripture calls those that accept and embrace the redeeming work of Jesus. He says, you are the wise. Those who reject him are the foolish. The prophet Hosea would proclaim, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let them know them. For the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So Jesus is a sign for those that will oppose God. They cannot accept his work. And that's where we come to point three. Is Jesus' ministry will expose their hearts. Simeon predicts, so that the thoughts from the many hearts may be revealed. Now that is a negative phrase there. In verse 3, 4, we're reading that there is a cost to Christ's mission and there is a moral decision that everyone must make about Jesus, even for us today. What we're seeing here is that their words or their hearts, excuse me, are evil. Pastor John MacArthur notes this. He says the rejection of the Messiah, the stone. Those who would stumble, that's the rejection, would reveal the appalling truth about the apostate state of the Jews. And let me share with you just as a pastoral editorial note. Those who reject and stumble over God's truth today shows the apostate heart of many. And unfortunately and sadly, many of those who profess Christ. For there are many who profess Christ, who stumble and reject God's truths, his imperatives, his commands. They even reject his promises. How do you and I respond to Christ's redeeming work reveals our hearts. And many times our mouths, our thoughts, and our very actions betray what we truly believe. Though many claimed to love Yahweh and many were looking forward to Messiah's coming, speaking of Jesus' day, their reaction to Jesus' ministry displayed their true heart. The Apostle John writes in his letter, Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. For those who say that Jesus is not the Messiah, he says they are a liar. Not only that, he goes, this is the Antichrist. He who denies that the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Father or Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Also, he says, by this you may know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God Again, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming 
and is now in the world today. I know many people, especially from those of us who come from a dispensational background, when is the Antichrist coming? Who is the Antichrist? Well, I have to tell you, the world is full of Antichrist. The church, the pews are filled with the Antichrist. Our streets are filled with those of the Antichrist. From the Jehovah Witnesses to the Mormons. Those who pronounce themselves Christians deny who Jesus is. So who do you say Jesus is? What do you say about his redeeming work on Calvary? Even today, people reject the work of Christ. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, claiming or professing to be wise, they show themselves to become fools. Number four, Jesus' ministry will bring sorrow to Mary. We're going back to this. We skipped it for a moment. It's in parentheses. It's an editorial kind of note that Luke is saying. A sword will pierce through your own soul also, Simeon says to Mary as he's looking at her. He predicts the sorrow that Mary will endure to the rejection of her son in four, 30 short years, 33 short years. This had to been very difficult and confusing for her to hear. Up to this point, it has been nothing but celebratory words of praise and commendation. But now Simeon is giving her a warning. Of course, Mary, as far as we know, had no idea what God had fully entailed for her son Jesus. At one point in her life, she seemed to be expressing doubt about his ministry and sought to bring him home, thinking that he was out of his mind. Yet at the same time, at the beginning of his ministry... She was eager for him to get started as he made water into wine at the wedding at Cana. Yet one theologian writes that when Simeon says that a sword will pierce through your soul, this is undoubtedly a reference to the personal grief and anguish that Mary is going to endure when she watched her own son die in agony. Couldn't imagine. Couldn't imagine the impact this had on her time as she saw him beaten, tortured, and hung on the cross as a common criminal. Couldn't imagine the pain she must endured during those days following his resurrection. They must have been immense, the, day, the pain, the suffering. God, what, what's going on here? She might have recalled when the angel first came to her, recalled the times that God refreshed her. She heard the words of the, the shepherds and of Elizabeth. Anna and Simeon, wait, what is going on here? Simeon predicts and prophesies correctly that you too will suffer pain. As a parent, that's our worst nightmare, isn't it? We desire the best for our children. We yearn for them to experience all that is good in life. And, we, and when they suffer, we suffer. We struggle when they struggle. We want to spare them all pain and suffering. We're not told of her reaction to Simeon's prediction. But surely, as we've seen so far from the type of woman, young woman she was, that she must have pondered in her heart as she did all the words of the angels and shepherds. And maybe with every you know, drive of the hammer, 
she remembered those words. And a sword will pierce through your own sword also. Especially when the spear was driven in. What has God done? We know that this is God's plan. Jesus would be a sign for those that were truly hostile to God's appointment. Now, very quickly, Luke is now going to transition to another reliable and credible witness named Anna. Look at with me, verse 36, it's here on the monitor. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, interestingly, when you and I compare Anna and Simeon, which are in the same passage, this is the time when Jesus is being presented. Remember in the temple, he's 40 days old. What's interesting is Luke gives us actually more biographical information about Anna than he does Simeon. And why does he do that? Well, most likely it was probably because she was a woman. And now don't take offense to that, but in those days, women were not considered reliable and credible witnesses. Their, their, their testimony would not count in a court of law. However, Deuteronomy says there must be at least in the mouth or two or three witnesses must account be made. And God, through the Holy Spirit, uses Anna to be a credible and reliable witness that this boy, this 48-year-old boy, is the Messiah that we have been waiting But what we see here is that what he does give us is she also loves God and she's waiting for his redemption. What we see is her lineage. We see where tribe she is. We see her father. Simeon doesn't get that. We get her age and her marriage status. Now there could be different. Your scripture might have been said that she was widowed for 84 years old. So she was either 84 at the youngest or 105 at the oldest. So we're not quite sure. I, I, the ESV takes it that she was 84. Uh, others, like the KJV and maybe others, might give you anything that she was whittled for 84, which would make her about 105, 104 years of age. In any ways, it didn't matter. What we see is that she did not depart from the temple. What we see is she, she lived there. She was taken care of there. This is where God had put her. And she was a prophetess. She would be one that doesn't give revelation of God. But what she was doing is she would be teaching, most likely, the women that would come into the temple. God was taking care of her. And what we see is she's worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day, waiting for the Messiah to come. And then when Christ comes, what's providential as you might see this as we read through last week in this week's passage, is that the Holy Spirit brings both Simeon and Anna into the temple at the same time that Jesus is there. God is a providential God. There are no incidents uh, or accidents. There's no co uh, uh, coincidences. This is God's appointed time. And what he writes, what is important, is not only who she is, that's just stating that she's a credible, reliable witness, but it's what she said that's more important. Because Luke writes that she shared with all who were there, who were waiting for the redemption of Jesus. Now, as a prophetess, as a teacher, this is what she's doing. There he is. There's the Messiah. There's the promised one. There is the anointed one of God. 
There is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the one that Isaiah said that God would end Israel's time of alienation and our suffering. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. These are the words when God says that your iniquity will be pardoned. We hope you enjoyed and your this episode of Walking will in be Faith. Ended. We encourage now, you to, to share this with others. If you have any questions or comments, please visit us online or email us at info at this unfamiliar story of Jesus' birth. This does not make it typically in the nativity scenes. But it's important. As one pastor says, these two people play an absolute crucial part in the whole scene of the arrival of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because they serve as credible and reliable witnesses to Luke's readers and to us today that Jesus is the Messiah from the beginning. There is no doubt. And I pray today that you have no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah, that there was appointed to him and the whole purpose of his ministry is for the fall of many and the rise of some. And you and I must understand that. There will be those who accept Jesus and there will be those who reject. My concern this morning is on which one do you stand? Please accept him this morning. Please do not reject this child, this ministry, this Christ who was crucified. For those who accept him, who turn and put their trust, repent of their sin, there is eternal life. There will be a rising up. Please do not be as a blind man who stumbles on the ministry of Christ. And not only that, I pray that you as those that have accepted Christ would grab the hand of your family member, your loved one, your friends, and help them to walk and not stumble over Jesus as well. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come and enter into their hearts, that they may see and be lifted from their blinded eyes. The scales will fall as Paul did, and they will see Jesus, and they will step on it, not as a stumbling stone, but as a foundation to walk in our lives. This is the baby Jesus at 40 days old, for he has an appointment that he has to keep. I want to encourage you today, Let's close with these words, Isaiah 52.10. This is what scripture tells us. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Let us declare him. Let you and I be like Simeon and Anna, that we are reliable, credible witnesses of who Jesus is. And may we accept his work and may we share it with others. Father, help us to be sufficient for such things. In my own power, I am not. And Father, there are many times that I have stumbled over the works of Christ. There are many, many times that I have caused others to stumble because my words have not been edifying or my attitude has not been compassionate. But Father, let us see you and your work the sending your son as our savior, that we may accept it. And we thank you for opening our eyes to that truth. And may we share that with others. We thank you and pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at 
Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.